Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Toddcast Show. Today, we're joined with Ruth Fearnow. How are you, Ruth? I'm doing so good. Wow. Am I supposed to fear something now? <laughs> be afraid. Be very Uh-oh. afraid. No, no, I don't want to be afraid. <laughs> it's great to have you. I really appreciate you joining us today. Where are you calling from? I'm in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and... Uh, I've lived a few places, um, grew up in Baltimore, lived in Hawaii, Virginia, Hawaii. So clearly, after all of that, I needed to land in Indiana. Interesting. What, uh, I mean, like what, what brought you there? Was it family or some, did you win the lottery? Well, (laughs) right. (laughs) I could actually afford to live somewhere else if I won the lottery. Um, So I was a military wife and um, my ex-husband retired and we came Uh, here to be with family. And I think I realized they didn't want to be with me and things uh, kind of blew up (laughs) there and uh, life moved on. But I have a practice here. Like my life became established in Indiana. So I'm here with uh, my now family and that's all right. Let's get back to that. Uh, Definitely. Let's start a little earlier in life. Where were you born? I was born in Pacifica, California. Oh, and really? I, yeah, yeah. My um, I my love dad. Pacifica. Oh, yeah. I see. I don't remember it except for visiting briefly. Um, because yeah. when I was very young, maybe somewhere between two and four, my so my dad was there at, with his young family, living with my mom's parents post Air Force while he found a job. And then he transitioned to NSA, which is what took me to Maryland, um, outside of Baltimore. 
and he lived in the intelligence agencies his whole life or worked there. So NSA, FBI, CIA, he's literally worked for all of them. Awesome. Um, that's what got me on the East Coast. So I don't remember much of Pacifica. Um, I'm more of an East Coast gal. Very cool. What's an early memory, the earliest, if you can stretch back way into childhood, what's the earliest thing that you recollect from your very, very beginning years? Following our new cat, Snowflake, around the house. Uh, that's funny. I can't believe <laughs> The parents that. are, like, guiding us not to crowd her because I'm, like, four or five, and I'm so excited. They're like, no, no, stay back. Let her do her thing. <laughs> and, I, you know, I guess when you have to hold back your impulses as a kid and you're so excited, that's something you remember. But that's, yeah, that's the earliest. That's so crazy. Um, I'm definitely not stealing your thunder here, but... Um, you just, it's weird that you said that because uh, I did the same thing and I was just a little baby. And I remember I was, it was before I was 18 months old because that's when we moved to uh, Arizona from Virginia when I was a real small baby. And we had this cat named Midnight. It was a black cat and <laughs> it, it didn't like to be bothered and I didn't really care. And uh, I was a hyperactive little child and I would chase that thing around crawling all over the house. And one day it bit me and I got blood poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Oh, so yeah, I, I feel you there. That's cool. <laughs> and did you have siblings growing up? Five. Wow. Where do you fall in the lineup? I am four four out of six. So five siblings, four out of six kids. You know, I huh. used to joke when I was younger that my parents didn't have television. No, you made your own Brady Bunch. <laughs> I guess. O yeah. Only your only your dad wasn't secretly gay, right? No, no, he adored my mom to the end of his days. Okay, very, well, you know, the, love story. The, the real Brady guy was gay, you know, in real life, right? Oh, yeah, I yeah. met the Bradys. I had no idea either. All that time, I was taking my cues for masculinity from a gay man. Uh, <laughs> watching that as a child, I had no idea, but it's okay. He was awesome. I loved him. Um, Did but it yeah, work for you? It worked, yeah, yeah, and I still today. <laughs> uh, every now and then, there's there's a woman that thinks that I'm gay for some reason, and I just don't get it, man. <laughs> I just don't understand. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that later. Uh, but yeah, it's a very strange thing. I've I've always been gay friendly. My brother, uh, my oldest mm -hmm. brother, although we don't get along at all now, um, he is gay, and uh, I learned to respect gay people through him. Actually, and it was. I really admired him. I don't understand how he could treat me so poorly in later life. Like I literally idolized him and, and all through mm -hmm. my childhood and teen years and even into my twenties. And then it started getting weird in my thirties, you know, but like, yeah. And so for mm -hmm. me, I always learned that gay people were fun and awesome and like diverse and interesting and smart and they'll go shopping with you or get some mm -hmm. wine, you know, and we can go sit and talk and if they need to like cry, it's okay. You know, yeah. it's it's like masculine and feminine mixed in together. I love that about the gay community. That's like my favorite part is the blend of things, you know, it just creates something different. Um, but no. You know, in indigenous cultures before the way we're living now, there's always been the people that have the blend and they have names for it. They have um, traditions behind it. Like, for example, there is a um, documentary called Kumu Hina, and it is about the Hawaiian concept of mahu, which um, mahu has, have always been seen as teachers because they have both masculine and feminine attributes and therefore are an in-between and is very 
elevated spiritual rank to be able to kind of, you know, traverse the genders. And, and that mm-hmm. is just seen very, very differently in that culture. You're so right. Man, this is a really interesting interview. This is the first time this has ever happened, but like we've already had a couple things line up. Uh, but this is weird because I literally was just talking about that two episodes ago. Oh, and, wow. And just the fact that they were revered as being uh, like gods almost, and they were leaders and people they came to for counsel and different things because they had that perspective. And, yeah. it would, you know, it's different than the modern gay. You know, the modern gay could be any number of things. And uh, from what I've been seeing, people can even choose to be like a helicopter or a pillow or an elephant even, maybe a unicorn, you know, mm-hmm. uh, lots of interesting ideas out there now. But um, back to your childhood, good Lord, that's a lot of uh, brothers and <laughs> sisters. Man, what was that like? <laughs> oh, my childhood. Uh, what was it like? Um, there were a lot of kids. So yeah. there was that. Um there's, there's, oh man, it's like I'm trying to figure out what, what angle to approach because I see my childhood from firsthand experience, from the yeah. beliefs that I grew up about being alone in the middle of all the kids. Talk from, about the, talk about the community of the experience. What was the community experience like? Did you get along with all of them? Did you work together? What was it like in school or your ages far apart? That sort of thing. Um, okay. So the first three kind of had this, um, bonding that would be like two against one, but there's always two that'd be connected. And then there was me in the middle and then there was a gap between or me next. And I was not allowed in that group. And then there was a gap. So maybe it's because I was the youngest for a while. And then the next one, there's a decent gap. So sometimes we could play and sometimes we wouldn't. And then there was the six So fifth and six were both quite a bit younger. So I felt, I really did feel quite alone um, in a lot of ways growing up, um, my mother suffered from depression. Mm-hmm. And when times were especially tough, you know, she couldn't function much in life. But my father sometimes would work up to like, I remember a period of time where he was working three jobs. Um, and my father was my first soulmate, my first true love. Uh, but he was very busy. And there were so uh, there was this thing of feeling alone. And I have uh, the sister just above me. It's interesting because she's got a an epic victim story, an epic, you know, woe is me and center of attention thing going on and several diagnoses to go with it. And we're having a conversation. I was explaining to her once about why it seemed like um, I was alone because I know she sees herself as the black sheep. And she said, wow, you really were the black sheep of the family. And I'm like, Oh, F, <laughs> if she oh, said something. Yeah, whoops, the, the truth slipped out. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, if the super victim says, yeah, you were alone, I'm like, oh, my God, I wasn't. But, um, but it's interesting, though, because for whatever reason, um, you know, just like anybody, like, so as a therapist, I think about core beliefs and, and what happens and how that affects us later. And as I go back to repair some of my psyche, because I do therapy on myself. Mm -hmm. Um, That is one of the key things that was coming up for a long time. Every time I was triggered by something, I'd go in to do internal work, and then it would always pop back up. I'm alone, which I'm pretty glad because I I started doing some different work this morning. I I did a session on myself this morning, and it was something different. So I'm I'm like, yay, maybe I'm (laughs) I'm getting past the I'm alone. 
But, um, you know, so I could talk about that angle of things. But for some reason, there was just a lot of amazing growth that came out of my life anyway. And, and I can't really quantify all of why that happened. Mm -hmm. But I went very different directions from my siblings. I'm just curious, though. Um, I like being alone sometimes. I love mm -hmm. being around people and stuff. But, like, isn't it healthy to be alone? Or do you think there's a limit? Like, where does where is the line in that? Well, my personal opinion is that, you know, like we have this idea of introvert, extrovert, mm -hmm. but it's not a black and white. It's not a light switch. It It's more like a, a gray scale and you could be anywhere on the scale. So my personal opinion is that we have a certain amount of social need in our bucket and a certain amount of alone time need in our bucket. Mm -hmm. So in terms of introvert, extrovert, I'm somewhere in the middle. If I'm very isolated for a long time, lonely is too much. And if I'm you know, around people too much, I need to be alone. So there's a balance, but there's a difference between actually being alone and having a deep subconscious belief that I'm alone in life. Right. Yeah, and no, that's what totally was going different. on with me. It was, you know, everything, things will fail. People will leave me. I'm alone in life. I have to do this by myself. That it, it wasn't that I'm physically alone. I'm, I have a gregarious personality. I am not shy. <laughs> I am not anxious. I can meet people in parking lots and used to do it when I was young and flirtatious, right? Yeah, me too. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, parking lots, gas stations, name it, I meet them there, shows, whatever, clubs, work, it doesn't matter. I meet people everywhere. I'm not shy. Meet friends. I'm the same but, way. Yeah, I'm the same yeah way. but feeling like I'm alone in life. Mm. That you know, on the deep level, that's a that's a whole different thing, and that's what it was coming up for me. Wow. So even with all those siblings, you still felt somewhat isolated. That's well, really do you feel more alone when you're hanging out on the beach by yourself or on camping by your camping by yourself, taking a walk? Do you feel more alone taking a walk in nature or in a room of people when no one wants to talk to you? Mm. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I would definitely choose the uh, alone time in nature over that. Um, that's very right. painful. I could see where that would set. Would you say that yeah. that created like uh, long-term effects? Did that have an impact on your psyche and all sure. that? Or how did that work? Well, as, as I went through life, so I was, once upon a time, I was a normal young person. That's probably not true. But uh, years what? before I became a therapist, um, you know, I was just more reactive and living my life, but I was always about growth. And later as I started kind of excavating things, you know, my mind over things that triggered me, like I, um, became a stepmom a few years ago and I was anybody that knows me knows that I was never going to have children. Like that right. was not in the cards for me. And mm -hmm. when it happened, it's so funny. I never knew why I was absolutely dead set against it. Um, but when it happened, I was being triggered by a whole lot of stuff. And some of the things that would come up is being alone, which is so ironic and makes no sense on a logical level. But when you do really deep work, there's usually a ton of irony. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like the whole concept of you'll reject me. So I need to push you away. And then you create rejection. It's that kind of thing that happens whenever we're triggered. It's like we, that self-fulfilling thing that we do so it, it showed up in ways but it was not obvious like I really had to go deep doing deep work on myself and whenever I would start to I would get to the root of something that was triggering me 
then this sense of being alone would come back up. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But that's what it felt like subconsciously to my emotional side. And um, so that's what I did a lot of that healing early on. So I could connect to my daughter um, and have, I, I think we have a lovely relationship, but um, that stuff could have gotten in the way, ironically. And I think it's, I mean, I'm a therapist, so I've seen that's how it works with other people. You know, the, the more you do the work I do, the more, and the more you really understand, mm -hmm. you start to see people as universal. It's like the way our story, the details of our story is are different, but the fundamentals are universal. That's what I'm looking for. You know, you, you're really, um, this is a really fascinating experience for me because you've really like hit a few notes that resonate with me deeply. And, oh, really? Yeah. Like you just said that you're a gregarious person, you know, and I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody but me describe myself as a gregarious <laughs> person. So I just thought that was really cool. And, you know, the personality and outgoing and all that stuff. Are um, we twinsies? Uh, maybe, yeah, it's cool. If I had a sister, I'd want her to be just like you. Aww, <laughs> Absolutely. No question about it. Um, I could tell already. Um, but there is something that came to mind when you were saying that. Um, and it was a book that I read a long time ago, and I really enjoyed it. I think I lost it or somebody stole it or something. But it's by Dr. Wayne Dyer, and it's called Your Erroneous Zones. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> no, he sounds like he's playing with words a little. No, it may be. Say what you want about him, but that book is really accurate. It's totally yeah. accurate. It really is. Yeah. And it talks about all those things that we make up in our heads. And it's kind of weird. Um, I went a long time ago for um, something called the Landmark Forum. You ever heard of that? No. Oh, man. That was an adventure and a half. It used to be called Est way back in the day. And I guess they remember Est, it. I heard of Est. Yes, it transformed. It dissolved in what? Oh, night? yeah. Else? Yeah. It must have become that, what you're talking about. It, it's now called Landmark Education. Ooh, and you should check into that. It's really cool. Best $400 I ever spent and mm. three days of an unbelievable emotional and spiritual and psychological adventure and transformation I, in, in a room of 100 people. Literally three marriages were saved that weekend. And I still kind of get choked up thinking about it. But there was this young, wow. beautiful, beautiful young girl that was there. She was like in her early 20s and just as pretty as can be. And like what she wanted is to create the possibility where her father would come and, and spend time with her, you know. And like uh, it, they hadn't seen each other in years, like 10 years or something. And she, that guy was there like on Sunday. And it, it, all, it all started on Friday, wow. man. It was amazing. Like the family was completely reunited and it was, it's a great experience. Landmark. I mean, dude, this is like 30 years ago and I'm like tearing up thinking about it. Like it's it beautiful, was very meaningful experience and integrity and learning how to, and I wanted to put this another way so it would make more sense. But the erroneous zones is similar to what they teach you in Landmark and something called already active thinking. And that's mm -hmm. the, that's where we run everything through filters, you know, and people do it all the time without realizing it. They don't even know why, but they do it. So there's mm -hmm. that autonomic process, kind of like what you're talking about, the push pull, the irrational, you know, things that come up and yeah, you're not really sure process. why. Yeah, it's really trippy. And uh, so we have these filters and one of the things it teaches you and it's very good at making this a uh, powerful lesson you will take with the rest of your life if you want it 
is uh, to eliminate those filters and to recognize them when they come up and replace them with healthier alternatives. And other than that, um, it's really all about integrity and learning what true integrity really is, not just the buzzword, but the real act of it and what it means and you know how to be accountable and all that in life. It, it was a great experience. And anyone listening, yeah, check it out, Landmark Forum. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah, super cool. They have centers all around the country. And, you know, it got a little culty for me, to be honest. Like, people were a little too fired up in some ways, and it was a little off-putting. But to be honest with you, the experience as a man and, like, a growing adult and someone that didn't have a father growing up, um, it really helped put in some uh, pieces, you know, to the puzzle that we're missing. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to like Wayne Dyer, but the book is definitely worth a read. I'm looking on the internet here just to see. It's like four bucks on a thrift store website. But as a therapist, you might enjoy it because it does seem to highlight a lot, if not most of those issues and areas where, you know, we create a fallacy in our own minds and with our own emotions sometimes for reasons that we don't always recognize, but there's an answer and there's a path to understanding that's kind of what it's about, you know, and it just kind of helps you to zero in on that kind of stuff. Um, old school style, you know, it's like a book. Yeah. Is old. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I'd love to share something about that, but it's funny. Please, I, please. I got introduced to S um, from a book called Disappearance of the Universe. And I find that really powerful, oh. like powerful spiritual past, powerful retreats, anything that's really powerful like that can really be grasped onto by humans in a bit of a fanatic way. Like mm -hmm. if it's that powerful, there will be some people like that. But, um, but no, I've heard from other people about this being life, uh, transformational. And one thing that I just felt the urge to share as you were talking, like first, just the experience sounds, you know, beautiful as I've heard elsewhere, but um, also People that are really growth minded are excited and uh, revved up by that. But I think there are some people that when they hear that kind of thing, you know, like we're creating our own, you know, our, our own shadows, our own contradictions, our own pain. Um, there can be some struggle with that because it can feel like blaming the victim and it can seem to them or if they believe it, they're like, I believe it. This, you know, gives me power. I'm going to try to fix it, you know, because I'm the one in charge. And then when they can't, you know, change it in a way that or a time frame that they think is appropriate, then it becomes another way to hurt themselves. Oh, you're so stupid. You can't even do growth right. You can't even try, you know, what's wrong with you? Everyone else can do this. I created it and I can't even fix it. You know, all that kind of really super harsh self-talk. And I just wanted to throw out there that I am about both responsibility and compassion. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting kind of dialectic because you can, I do believe that we are responsible for all of our feelings and I believe we created our pain. You know, I didn't create the situation I had growing up, but for some reason I interpreted in that way and that's what I held with me. So somewhere subconsciously I created it, but I didn't do it because I'm bad, because I'm suck, because I, I suck, because I'm defective. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I, and I didn't keep doing it because I'm just, you know, kind of junk. I kept doing it because 
I'm, you're not healed until you are because it was subconscious and I couldn't see it. And it's a process of growth. This idea that we need to have it fixed and be perfect or we're terrible is so silly because oh. unless you believe that we're supposed to pop out of the womb perfect, then we have stuff to learn. And if you have stuff to learn, you're not perfect by definition. So what I love to describe to people when I'm working with them is um, compassion looks like accepting where you are in the process of change. Yeah. And understanding that it's, that it is a process and it's baby steps that get you there. You know, um, mm -hmm. that's the key to the whole thing. Uh, so let me ask you something else. Were your parents together growing up? It sounds like your family was whole. Ooh. Is that right? What a fun story. I will tell you the tale. Love it. Please do. <laughs> my, um, so my parents got divorced when I was 14. Oh, and um, my father was devastated and it was kind of, it was really interesting watching my father's life. He was always like, why he wasn't perfect. Hey, talk about not being perfect. He wasn't perfect. There were some pretty um, troublesome deficits when he was younger and raising us and he was never perfect. And yet he always, he was a principle based man and he always attempted to live the way he said he believed he would like, church on Sunday during the week, he would try to follow all that stuff to the best of his capability. And when you're doing that, when you're honestly striving and seeking, and in his case, you know, religion was a part of it, seeking God in a very earnest and open, honest way, you grow. And when you grow, I got to watch a man live an authentic life. It was imperfect, but it was beautiful because I watched decade after decade where he grew so there were some um, trouble spots with him and conflict and how he dealt with all that. And finally, my mom kicked him out when I was 14. And he, you know, waited for a few years and tried to get with her. And she wasn't having it. So he, you know, he was very depressed for a while. And then he, when he was ready, he decided to go out and find someone to marry. So he found a lady and married a second wife. Um, he was married to her for 20 years. Wow. And she passed away. And I'll remember it was March 24th when she passed away oh. and I had become a therapist already. And so I knew that when you're grieving, um, like church and community will come out and support you and then it'll dwindle away, but you're still grieving. And exactly. you don't have yeah. So I said to him, would it mean more to you if I fly out now for the funeral or if I wait a few months and fly out when support starts? To oh die? yeah. I know he chose number two. He did. Yeah, he absolutely did. And so I went out there. We went out there, I think the first week in, I want to say May or June, probably May. Mm -hmm. And um, this is me and my ex. We flew out to see my my father. Mm -hmm. And um, by the time I got out there, he was already engaged. Wow. Good for him. Wait, wait. Ready? Okay. To my mom. Oh, shit. Wow. Didn't see that coming. Uh-oh. <laughs> They started it out together. They're going to end it, end it together. Are they together still? <laughs> uh, and a friend of mine was like, holy crap, your dad doesn't F around. And I'm like. Uh, That's <laughs> awesome. Good for but him. The man. Thing is, in the two months after his wife passed, and he did. He did love her um, very much. And he was grieving pretty hard. But I was sending him, since I wasn't out there to support, I sent him an email every day that said a reason why I love him. Oh. Uh. 
And one day he replied back, it must have touched him. He replied back and he's like, you know, said something sweet and said, thank you. I love you so much. And he said, and this, I didn't know he was talking to my mom via Skype yet. Um, cause they lived in different States, but he said, this may sound strange, but I love your mother too. And my response in my head was like, a doy. I mean, <laughs> my father is so level is so loyal. He would never speak of that. He would never, he never dropped that feeling anytime. He never said anything. He would never be disloyal to his wife. Mm -hmm. And now he's talking to my mother again. Um, because his whole life he always held a torch, but it was so obvious. So when he's like, I'm, this may sound strange, but I love your mother too. I'm like, dad, you're not fooling anyone. I mean, good job not being a jerk about it, but we all know. And so when I flew out there first week of May, he was planning, he was already packing up and getting ready to move by June Cool. Uh, to go down where my mother was and they uh -huh. were being married. All right. I remember one thing he told me when they were broken up. He said one of the one of the hardest things, the hardest thoughts that he had that hurt him deeply was that they would not grow old together. And he oh. was wrong. Right on. Good for him, man. See, he's very authentic. I love authenticity. I really <laughs> that's like one of my favorite qualities in a person. Yeah, um, he was special. That is really cool. Is he still with us? Um, he is not. He passed um a few months before the lockdown started in our country. Oh, I'm and, sorry. Oh, thank you. Um, it gave me quite a chuckle, though, because about a decade or more before that, I read a book on his recommendation called The Coming Plague. So I'm like, ah, oh, you missed it by a few months, buddy. Yeah, I know. Totally right. That's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. But it was, I, I was, I'm in a pretty good place about death and about, and he was in a good place. Oh, my God. Before he died most ridiculous person ever he uh -huh. used dying to have all the best jokes mm -hmm. all the best he um can't like get in the, trouble for it <laughs> what are you gonna do right, right. Uh, like all hospice was coming over to set him up the week i was out there church people were coming by family was visiting he says i should have done this before i've never been so pampered in all my life yeah right exactly. oh my god dad oh my god <laughs> I love it. That sounds awesome. It, and I take it your mom is outlast them all, right? Yeah, my mom is still around. Good, good. Glad to hear that. It's weird how women always seem to outlast the men. What is that like? Very common, very common. And I don't know. I know women are more health conscious. I know men are more risky or women are more risk averse. I don't, but I don't know. I really don't. Yeah, I wonder about that sometimes. It's, it's a shame, you know. It'd be nice if we could just plan a day where, you know, it all it, it all ends together. You know, we're gonna, what I mean? see, we're gonna do a pact. <laughs> yeah, but without ending up on the news, you know, as a suicide right. and murder or something like that. <laughs> you know, but maybe maybe it's designed that way more for a reason because um, psychology research shows that men who um, men who are over sixty five who become a widower have uh, like have a really high rate of remarrying within one year. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, they have a very high suicide rate. Mm -hmm. Whereas women who become widows over 65 start a bridge club. Seriously. <laughs> That's so funny. They, they go make community. They're like, uh, I'm good. That's, yeah, that, that's so strange. It wasn't always like that though, you know? No. 
I don't think so. I, I, I believe that there was a time like thinking about my late grandparents, for example, you know, where mm -hmm. true love existed and just lingered and lasted and it never stopped. And the loyalty and commitment was so solid and strong that nothing could possibly ever come in its way. And I mean, I, I definitely learned a lot about relationship through my grandparents more than my mom because she got divorced and then dated somebody and then somebody mm -hmm. else, but never got married again. And all that can't blame the people she was dating but um you know whatever and uh that's okay i mean and i ended up seeing my father again later on but um he passed as well um so uh my situation's kind of similar my mom's still around somewhere oh todd your soft underbelly's showing mm -hmm. oh this, yeah you have no <laughs> idea it's real soft under there uh mm -hmm. let me tell you and i've been through some crazy stuff like uh I struggled with depression. You don't know this about me, really, but that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this show, actually, is to escape my depression and get more socialized because I was isolated living in the country in the middle of Arizona yeah. in a mountain home in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it was really tough for me because I'm very social. And so there, you know, the social opportunities were like druggies, losers, criminals, and other people that would let you down. And it's like... Every now and then there'd be like one or two people. And I think there were four people at the very end of 13 years that were really sad to see me go and vice versa. And the rest of them couldn't give a shit, you know, and it's like, man, you know, we've known, we've known each other for years. And, you know, it's like, I just don't understand. The mentality there was really strange for me, but this place where I'm at now feels a lot better and I, I feel good. It's new though. I'm one month into this new life and, I just stopped therapy actually after about three and a half years of working with a very gifted psychologist and um, just uh, trying to get my life back on track because it was way off, man. Like mm. things were really rough and I won't get into the whole story, but like I have a family trauma story that would blow your mind and uh, you just wouldn't even believe the details if I told you the story, but um, I don't have any remaining family as a result of my little story. Um, wow. And I didn't even do anything. That was the worst part, you know, asking questions. Asking questions got me kicked out of my own family. I've heard some doozies. Um, yeah. But I believe you. I believe you. Oh, yeah. The details are really crazy, but it's going to take an investigator to figure that out because I, I can't even talk about it. Like, it's pretty sick. Like, unbelievable. You wouldn't even, maybe off the air, we could talk about it sometime just for, sure. your, for your amusement as a therapist. Oh, goodness. But, <laughs> I'm yeah, yeah. And, and to be honest, you know, I'm going to probably spare time, hear more trauma stories. Right, exactly. Let me tell you about my my trauma, but I, I'd like to talk about it. I just don't want defamation or anything like that to happen. Yeah, well, that's why, honestly, I skipped around some details of what was going on with my siblings. Not because I I'm afraid to talk about it. You get me off the air and. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Sure, I'll tell you, what do you want to know? Yeah, me um, too. I, I'm not in a very pained place about it, you know, but um, some of those people are alive and all the details in my yeah. interpretation doesn't paint everyone in the best light. And so it's mm -hmm. not just my story to tell. Um, so I understand that. It's yeah, totally. Absolutely. I understand that completely. Um, we didn't really get to hit any of those uh, strange notes. So let me let me throw out a couple of weird questions before we get into oh, what you okay. do. <laughs> yeah. All right. This sounds good. So what was the first time in your life that you remember getting in serious trouble? What happened? 
Oh dear, define serious. Am I going to see? This is my story. Am I going to share about my arrest? And yeah, yeah, the arrest and record. It's all public details, you know, unless it's been expunged, of course. But yeah, we can find it. <laughs> it was buried by yeah, the right. FBO. You know, something, okay. <laughs> something, something strikes me is you you do something weird at school that got you in trouble or like you got ch caught cheating on a test or something. Uh, no, Todd, it was the arrest. Okay, really? Yes. Oh, you actually got arrested. Yay, I surprised you. I surprised you. Wow. I'm supposed to surprise you. What'd you get arrested for? Being funny? Uh, oh, <laughs> thanks. Um, <laughs> no, but... Um, there was a boy, doesn't always start this way, <laughs> hanging out with the wrong people the wrong time. And it's uh, so funny, it wasn't especially malicious or terrible, but you got to understand, next to NSA is a um, an army base called yeah. Fort Meade, Fort Meade, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And my high school is on Fort Meade, Maryland. And oh. I was hanging out with a guy and two of his buddies and we're in a Jeep and we, you know, I'm just out on a weeknight and he decides or we decide and I'm along for the ride. Um, we're going to go four-wheeling, um, and we're somewhere in the backwoods of the Army base, so we're four-wheeling. Oh, no. <laughs> well, so far, so good, right? Good time. <laughs> not even drinking or anything. I mean, well, okay. four-wheeling. Yeah. And it's mostly um, just dirt roads and here and there and everywhere, and then he goes um, and then through a shallow river and then, you know, just that. And then at one point, he goes back through this shallow river, this one spot. And he must have hit a big rock or something because the Jeep gets stuck. So he he shifts and goes to backup. And then he shifts into Ford as if the engine was going to do all of that. But that was where the engine said, nah, I'm not doing that in the water. That was too much. Uh -oh. So now we're stranded. Oh, no. And so we get out and get onto dry land and we start walking and we're way in the back. Now at this time, speaking of my father, it was still more of an authoritarian home. And my biggest concern is I need to get home by curfew. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to deal with crap. Right. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're, we're walking, we're walking and we come across something. There's a fence and a trailer and some vehicles way in the back. And the guy that I'm with is like, okay, let me go find, uh, let me see if I can find some help. And he has to climb the fence. So that's not really a great idea, but I'm also kind of like, okay, what do you do? And yeah. then, so I'm talking to his buddy and I'm uh, facing, happen to be facing away from the fence when that mm -hmm. happens, but I'm chatting. And then I hear a sound and I turn around, there's a truck coming toward us. So I'm like, oh, wow, he found someone really cool. That was fast. <laughs> yeah. Any guesses? The next plot point? I know exactly what's going to happen. That was a cop and you got busted, sister. Incorrect. I think it's a bit worse. What? Let's see if I can surprise you again. Oh, so, God. Tell me it wasn't your dad. No, 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 no. So this vehicle comes out from the compound, and I'm like, oh, great. He found someone. They're going to help us, blah, blah, blah. It pulls up. The passenger side opens, and it's him, my friend. Oh. There's no one else. He stole it. He stole an army dump truck. Oh, wow. So yeah, now we're that, getting in some deep yeah, stuff, right? Now we're getting somewhere, yeah. <laughs> so here's me. I'm having this moment. I'm in the backwoods of this army base. I have no clue which direction to go. I have no clue how far it is. I do have a clue if I get mad and start walking, I could be lost, have some major trouble. But that's not even on my mind. I'm not even worried about that. What I'm worried about is I don't know how to get somewhere to where I can get home by 11 p.m. 
Yeah. And I'm 15, right? So I'm like, I don't know what else to do. You so got I in the dump truck. I hop in the truck. Oh right? my gosh, wow. So the truck drives, he goes to the Jeep, pulls it out, tows it, tows it to these horse stables that are on the base. We take the truck back. Oh, and by the way, the noise, which I wasn't paying attention, was apparently him slamming through the gate with the truck. Wow. So he just okay. busted right through, which must have been dramatic. Um, awesome. So I, so I sit in the front of the truck while they hook it up, and then we go tow it. And then he and I drop off the truck, and then we walk to the stables. And from there, you know, back in those days, it's a pay phone, and we're calling someone to come get us, uh, give us a, um, a jump and all that. In the time that we're waiting for that to happen, the MPs show up, military yeah, police. Yeah. And we are arrested and charged with things like unauthorized use of a government vehicle, destruction of government property, conspiracy, um, possession of a concealed weapon. There was a knife in his car. Oh, um, man, really? And uh, theft. Jesus. So next thing I know, while I'm waiting for my parents, I'm being interrogated by a blue-eyed, steely-faced woman, a sergeant of some type. Mm -hmm. And she is going on, and there's all this, like, cannon ammo and shells and such um, that were in the office when I went in. And she's drilling me about stealing these cannon shells. And I'm like... What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And I tell the story like skipping the theft of the truck thing. Mm -hmm. And so she does a common thing that I wasn't wise to yet, which is she tells me, well, your friend's already admitted to the truck. I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. It's true. You did do that. But I still don't know how about the cannon shells. And she's she stares me down like like solace there. And she's just like, well, if you're lying about the truck, how do I know you're, li you're not lying about the cannon shells? Jeez. And to me you have to understand my personality. Like I'm very logical and very practical and literal in my thinking. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking this is the dumbest questions I've ever heard in my ever loving life. Mm -hmm. So I look at her up and I stare her down. And I say, you don't. And we just stare at each other. Well, I'll bet you were adorable doing it. <laughs> I was, maybe I was, but I was pissed. I'm just like, what a stupid Ooh. question. And I, so I'm like, you don't. I stare her down. And she finally blinks and stops interrogating me. I guess she figures she knew it was over at that point. But I'm like, yes. I mean, it's so stupid. Oh, no, you're not lying. Uh, ESP, yeah. what do you want me to say? Yeah. But I realize it's a tactic. It's not a logical question. But that's uh -huh. how it happened in my mind. So... Uh -huh come to find out the boys when they went to tow the jeep were like oh look the old army dump truck they have old cannon shells and so they stole stuff oh, and so man. that actually was my crew i had no idea it was my crew oh no so there are some things i did do i did mm -hmm. use the gov government vehicle i did hop in um yeah. i was along for the ride i think trespassing might have been on it maybe we were back farther than we should have been i don't even know huh. but um but I hadn't been in trouble before, and when I came across the court, I was, yes, ma'am, of course, and gave me a lecture mm -hmm. on being at the wrong place, the wrong time, with wrong people, which is a thing. Yeah. And and that made sense, you know, I'm like, yes, ma'am, yeah. And then uh, they said, all right, well, if you don't get more trouble, this is off your record, and when you turn 18, you can say, no, you've never been arrested on applications and such, and that's what happened. Right on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can I counter your story? <laughs> 
Yeah, go for All right, it. This is fun. I feel like we're like old friends getting together to <laughs> shop, talking shop. Um, but listen to this. Here's here's my path in life and how different it is that way. But what comes to mind, uh, maybe in my earlier years, I did other things. But like what the story that you reminded me of was actually a really good one and how things can go if you're well behaved, <laughs> but still cause the problem. And so one day I was in my early 20s and it was me and this other girl who was about my age. And I had, I think, two or three friends with me who were like 19. And uh, we went to this place in San Diego in the mountains to go shooting. We took some guns out there and uh, some beer and some weed. And, you know, it was a great time. And so we were shooting our guns and smoking our weed and drinking the beer or whatever and all that. And then uh, my buddy pulled out some fireworks and, uh, you know, didn't think too much of it. We had a video camera and there was nothing but dirt and rocks and everything. And there was a little brush here and there, but like, it didn't look dangerous, so he uh, pulled out a quarter stick of dynamite and um, lit it off, yeah, and uh, threw it over in the dirt by the rock and kaboom, you know, and oh, I got it on camera, and, you know, it was like a VHS big-ass camera, you know, back in those days. <laughs> it really was. And wow. then, so here was flashback. The, yeah, and, and speaking of flashback, I can still see this moment, like, as it happened right now as we're speaking, and this is like, I'm 51 I was probably 22 at the time, maybe 23 or something. I don't know. Um, but anyway, like, uh, so my buddy and I are looking and just making sure that there's no fire or anything. And we saw this tiny little itsy bitsy, teeny weeny little bit of smoke coming up out of one of the little patches of brush. And I mean, it did not look like a big deal, but both of us instinctively ran over and tried to start stomping it out, man. And oh, boy. Oh. That, that was a moment when I learned to respect fire. And let me tell you what, like we went from like stomping out this tiny little itsy bitsy, couldn't even, there was no flame. It was just smoke. And then literally all of a sudden it was like, and I'll, I will never forget the sound. It was like, woof. and oh. then fuck, man, it was like, oh my God, the flames were like 12 feet high right in front of us, like in an instant. And wow. all of a sudden we just started a forest fire. Wow. And so my buddy's car my buddy's car was not far from that and my car was behind it so i got in my car and went back we tried to call 911 from the cell phones back then it was air touch and in uh, sprint those are the two big companies and it didn't work our cell phones wouldn't work out there so i tried to get my car out of the way and my friend couldn't find his keys and so like the fire is getting really close to his car it was really crazy he almost oh lost his car he found him at the last second so we drive down the hill, and uh, you're not talk about a strange twist ending. Listen to this. You're not going to believe okay. this. So, okay. so we're driving down the hill. Behind us, there's smoke and fire everywhere, and like we're shitting our pants, totally scared to death, and not sure what the hell is going to happen or what we're going to do. And we're like, we've got to get someplace we can call for help. And there's other people shooting in the area and stuff, so that, you know, people were aware of what was going on. So we made it all the way down to the bottom of the hill, and there was uh, cops there waiting. And uh, they pulled us over and we got out and everything. And uh, I, I lied at first or one of us lied. I forget which one told the lie. But we said look at the soot on my fingers. It's yeah, we, we told them we threw a cigarette and uh, the cigarette yeah. lit the thing and blah, blah. And then uh, stupid us. Uh, we had the evidence right on the fucking video camera. Oh, so, oh my. Yeah, and they found it and they watched it. And then that was it. So 
Next thing you know, uh, we're sitting all outside the car. Uh, it was very chill and casual. They treated us very well, actually. But, you know, we, we copped to it once they saw the thing. We said, look, yeah, we did it. And my friend admitted to it because he lit it. And I was the one filming. And uh, so long story short, we're watching like fire trucks come in. This is a very remote area of the San Diego mountains, too. And uh, it was way out there. And uh, there was helic or helicopters couple of planes and a whole bunch of fire trucks that all were coming because of us and there's a bunch okay. of cops around right and then we're down there in this other weird parking lot waiting sitting on the side of the little parking lot area they they found my weed and they unloaded my gun they didn't say a word about the beer and I'll tell you what like we sat there we told we did everything completely compliant and here's what happened so there were two other people apparently in the parking lot that we didn't know and they were smoking crystal meth and uh those two ended up going to jail that day and we all drove home in our car with the weed and all the bullets and all the empties they let else. you keep the weed yeah they, they left it right on the top of my car that's coolest cops ever like i mean come on <laughs> you know and so anyway like it was a completely weird twist of fate where you know, it's like it could have really gone sideways, but it ended up working out so well. And, you know, we, we ended up going home and like we felt terrible and I'm totally paranoid about fire even till today. But, you know, it's like you learn your lessons like that. Um, so yeah. it's kind of fun. But how cool. Wow. What a story, too. And honestly, I understand your perspective, your innocence in the matter, I think, is something that they would have taken into consideration. You're just a yeah. girl. You it's know, just, it it was kind of like. It's mischievous non-innocence is different from malicious, you know. Mm -hmm. It was just like we're just gonna mess around a little bit, goof off, yeah. whatever big deal, and then you know, things just kind of spiraled, but yeah. that's definitely yeah. different. Like even yours is, you know, it's not malicious, you're not arsenic no. <laughs> freaked out. Oh no, 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 no. Nobody's cats got killed or anything, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nothing weird. That. Yeah, nothing weird happened. And uh, I don't mean to eat up our time with with my stories for sure, but I want to talk more about what you do. And we we missed some of the bullets. We're gonna have to have another interview where I really try to rattle your cage. Like I'd really like to, <laughs> I'd I'd really like to throw you off. Like to be able to do that to a therapist, I want to catch you off guard. God. Like, I would my like that. My is the master, and now I'm a therapist, and I focus on trauma. I don't know what you've got. Oh, speaking I don't of know which, pre-show, pre you mentioned a story that you might like to share about your father that way. Did you already share it or is that you talk, No, you talked about, um, you know, throwing people off or, or doing the unexpected and cashing exactly. them off hard. Yeah. Just to give you an idea of my, my father's level of mischievousness. <laughs> when, um, so he was close with my mother's siblings when they first got together and they were young. I heard this story at his funeral. Mm -hmm. And um, so my aunt... Julia is telling this story and he says that she said that they would be driving. She would be driving him in her car. He's in the passenger seat and he would say, Julia, do you want your keys? And she would say, yes, Butch, I do. So he reach over while they're driving on the highway, take her keys out of the ignition and hand them to her. Oh shit. You can't do that. <laughs> the wheel, the wheel will lock up, man. What do you wait? Old cars. old cars. Okay. Okay. That's different. So, How funny. I like right? that. It's not overtime. Oh, there's so more. The next sure. time, and my dad was definitely one to repeat jokes his whole life. He's got a terrible memory like me. Um, so later they're driving and he says, 
Julia, do you want your keys? Well, he, she's been through this before. So she's like, no, Butch, I don't want my keys. So he reaches <laughs> over, takes the keys out of the ignition and throws them out the window. <laughs> wow, man. That sounds great. I miss so, your dad already. That's cool, man. <laughs> What, what a great story. And definitely, I, I, there's so many things that I would like to know, but we've just kind of had a flowy conversation here. And the time always goes way too fast. But yeah. let's, let's jump into the meat of the matter and talk about your ability to help people deal with their changes and challenges and trials and tribulations. That's what uh, therapy is all about, right? It is. And um, I think maybe I'll just, you know, we spent most of the time on fun stories and I know you try to keep it around an hour. So I'm going to try and condense what's different about what I do and what I want to share with everybody Please. Um, in my time. So first off, I think you've missed some juicy stuff because I never even told you about my month in Shaolin during 9-11. But anyway, We're gonna it sounds schedule. like I'm throwing out crazy stuff. Why don't we why don't we schedule another interview in the next two months for real? Like you, yes. you'll be the second person I've had on for a second time, but I would love that. And there are so many more things that we can talk about, I can tell. I would love to yes. have you back. Yeah. That that would be wonderful. Okay. Okay. So let's suffice to say, before I be before I even went back to school as a therapist, I had had a serious meditation practice for about a decade. Wow. Um, went back to school. I was in IT for 17 years before I became a therapist. Wow. So I have a meditation practice that I've been seriously working on, trying to figure it out, which uh, is not, you know, not easy. And I've always been a self-growth person, um, always was actively doing something to try and grow myself. And then that accelerated during my years in school to become a therapist. And as that happens, um, I focused on trauma right away. I was all about looking at the source, the core, the, you know, what's creating all of this. I was not about symptom treating. And as an intern, I learned that people are taught, uh, well, therapists are taught to bring techniques to their clients that are based on mindfulness. We've got things called grounding, guided visualizations, you know, any, this meditation is different things that we do to teach them. And um, the person that was running the internship where I was at was like, you need to do grounding with your clients every single session. Cause some people don't know how to do basic emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. The thing is that these tools are so powerful that it's made, it's spread like wildfire. Hey, mm -hmm. <laughs> You're right. no like wildfire. I didn't start it. <laughs> you didn't start it, but, <laughs> but um, it's spread. And yet, that doesn't mean that everyone that does it has an understanding of it. So as I developed my chops as a therapist and learned a lot about what makes people tick, what helps them heal, what blocks them from healing. And that's all a, a thesis that I have um, summed up in my book as well, or, or actually interwoven throughout the book. Um, I learned that people will use mindfulness as a new method to suppress and avoid difficult things mm -hmm. that's not the right thing though you're supposed to process it and change the meaning and all that kind of stuff instead right like avoiding is never the answer is it um the only time so i i think avoiding is an answer to certain things so for example if something really horrible happens and mm -hmm. i have lots of feelings about it but it happened in front of my daughter mm. and i have a i have a young um gal well, upper elementary age gal so Mm -hmm. 
it's going to be important for me to keep my stuff together so I can make sure to regulate her and make sure that she feels as safe as possible and as settled as possible until such time that she can be calm and put to sleep or get back to life. So in that case, I'm going to shove my shit down. Okay. That's the Mm -hmm. time to avoid. Mm -hmm. I'm going to shove it down, set Mm -hmm. it aside. That's Mm -hmm. a priority, but that's pretty much the only time I can think of. Like if I don't want to cry in public, if I don't want to freak out in front of a kid, those Mm -hmm. are times to do it. But once once I'm in private, once, once my daughter's to bed, it is time for me to open up the box and look at the feelings and to do something about them. And that's why, so my book is called therapeutic mindfulness, a healing skill, not a coping skill. Mm. Yeah. Cause coping is really not the answer. We, we, we have the power to heal and there's so much evidence that shows that the health is affected. A human's health is affected by their overall mental and emotional homeostasis. In addition to the physical uh, it's all about what you carry on in your mind. There's energy related to those things, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that that's what perpetuates the positive and negative is the energy of thoughts and things? Or how does that part work, you think? Yes, but but I'm glad you went there because um, there's a lot of therapy and a lot of thought systems and spiritual paths and all these things that deal with the thoughts. And that mm-hmm. is a start, but it's not the surface thoughts. That's the thing. It is your subconscious beliefs. So if I, if, if I go for an interview and I don't make it and I'm thinking, oh, that sucks. That's really hard. I'm never going to find something. No, no, no. Replace the thoughts. It's fine. You'll find something. If my core belief that I'm walking the earth with is I'm not good enough, then I'm going to go into a spiral of no, this just proves that I'm not good enough. I never was. I'm never going to find anything. I might as well go work at McDonald's, blah, 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 blah. And I go through it down this rabbit hole. But if my core belief is I'm competent, then when I don't get the job in the job, I'm going to say, oh, that's a bummer. They probably had someone really good and I've got something waiting around the corner. I'm sure of it. And it's that big of a deal. It's like nothing. So it's not the thoughts and trying to force yourself to believe thoughts that you actually don't believe. It's it's the core beliefs. It's the underlying thoughts. It's the subconscious thoughts. Mm -hmm. The foundation. Yes. Yeah. So if on the that's why on the surface, there's a lot of positive psychology that people try to apply where they're telling themselves like affirmations is a big one. Let me give myself a bunch of affirmations that logically I feel like I need and emotionally my brain doesn't believe a single word of it. Mm-hmm. It will not work if there's not a part of you. What I'll ask people when I'm working affirmations is. Okay, what part of you believe this? I think it's true. Pro- no, no, no. I, I know that you think logically it's true, but this is something you struggle with. Mm-hmm. What part of you emotionally believes it? And they'll be like, uh, 20%. Yeah. But it's got to be something to build mm-hmm. on because there are times when people come to me and they do not believe their affirmations and they're like, they don't work. They, didn't, they make me feel worse when I'm done. And I'm like, that's because... I mean, not for nothing. I think you're doing them wrong, but it's not that they know they're doing them wrong. They're trying the best they can. So it's not the surface thoughts. It is the thoughts, but it's the subconscious thoughts. And I like to call those core beliefs. That's the, I'm not good enough. I'm alone. The world is dangerous. I'm in danger. Um, I'm not worthy. Those are the subconscious thought. I need to be in control. That's, those are the thoughts that run our show. The beliefs that run our show. And if you, 
start to think in terms of core beliefs. By the way, anyone can look up um, EMDR core beliefs online and find a core belief worksheet. Um, you read through those. And when you're dealing with something that you're triggered, read through the core beliefs. And I'll be darned if not, if almost every single time when someone reads the right one, it'll jump at the page at them and they'll say, that's mm. it. That's what this feels like. Interesting. And, and, you know, you reminded me of something just really quick I want to share as well from Landmark real quick. There's something that they teach in there that it's, goes like this. There's uh, the things that we know, and then there's the things that we don't know, and then there's the things that we don't know that we don't know. And <laughs> that last one is the tricky one for most people, and that's where those blind spots are. Well, um, the cool thing about what, what I do is like I know how to do some deeper therapy and there are people that will name me, but um, there's a lot of healing that you can do without knowing that mm -hmm. if you know what to do. And here's mm -hmm. what I mean. So let's take, I'm not worthy. If um, maybe I don't know that's what's being triggered right now, but I know that when my boss blew me off or rate or, or said something that made me look bad in a meeting or whatever. And I'm super triggered and upset and riled up about it and mm -hmm. hurt and all the things. Um, I might not know that it's, I'm not worthy. That's being triggered in me. And that's something that keeps being triggered. But what I do know is my mind is going apeshit over what the boss did. And I have mm -hmm. all kinds of feelings about it. Mm -hmm. So with therapeutic mindfulness, I use mindfulness meditation techniques to instead of trying to make yourself feel good or imagine yourself at the beach, you actually go into your body directly looking at the reaction to the boss. So if it's anger and then deep down there's this big hurt and betrayal and it feels like it feels like a boulder weighing down my chest, mm -hmm. then you can use mindfulness and focus on how that feeling is showing up in the body. And then I teach how to, be with that without judgment because there's a whole lot of resistance to being there. Our, our mind does not want to feel uncomfortable emotion. It's like a hot stove. It jerks back. But I teach how to talk to that feeling, to be with it. Just let it be there. Let it be uncomfortable. Feelings are uncomfortable, not lethal. So open up to it. Just observe what happens. Mm -hmm. And as people stay in this mindful state sitting with that emotion that's crying and screaming to them about the hurt as they stay with it. It's kind of like the emotion is a hurt person or a hurt child. And when it's crying and screaming and making a fuss, if we don't shrink back, but we stay with it, it starts to feel heard. It starts to feel not alone and it starts to heal. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. Very cool. That's amazing. And uh, the transformation is very clearly obvious to the person that goes through it, of course, right? It cracks me up sometimes because sometimes, well, you know, they'll have worked through like a trigger, you know, the boss thing. That's an that's like a trigger or target, something that came up, triggered all the feelings and I'll have them work through it. And then sometimes after 30, 20, sometimes even 15 minutes, I'll ask them, OK, let's go. This seems like things are going well. And I'll say, okay, bring back up the meeting and what the boss said and how everyone looked at you. What do you feel now? And they'll shrug like, eh, it happened. It's no big deal. Uh, and the, sometimes they'll, it'll be as if they're saying, why are you bringing that, that up? It's nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you were paralyzed 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thinking That's about amazing. This, you were overwhelmed. And now you're like, eh, but I love it. That's, that is what, 
Oh, I'm with it, and I get excited about that too. That sounds awesome. It's a, like an almost immediate paradigm shift, right? Yeah, well, it's uh, the paradigm shift because we get out of this story. So that's a big part of my process. Um, you don't have to be to have mind training to be an experienced meditator. Uh, I use this these uh, questions to help focus on the physical feeling in your body. And so you get out of the story. And that's a big part of it for people who are not who do not have a lot of mind training. It's easy to get caught up in the story and you're never getting anywhere because your mind just feeds the drama. Right. Mm -hmm. Tells the tale. So mm -hmm. when you get into your body with it and then allow that feeling to show up all kinds of ways, it's like. You're not attached to this perspective. You're just looking at the weird feeling in your chest or the squirmy feeling in your stomach or the clenchy feeling in your throat or jaw or the, you know, buzzing or the heaviness in your head or whatever it shows up like. And so you're not looking at perspective. You're just being. And then when you come out of it, when I have people tap back into it, the perspectives already change. It's like they didn't even know what happened. And then they're like, oh, it's fine. Like he was probably just stress that day and i'll be like well that's a different response yeah that is cool that is really cool so you feel really i mean a lot of satisfaction in seeing the changes that people go through how eager are people to make these types of changes <laughs> that is that is a strange question i could answer that in a number of ways um mm -hmm. and differently with a number of people like i think the idea of doing the change is very exciting to mm -hmm. most people Mm -hmm. And I would say that maybe a handful are still excited to actually do it, but mm -hmm. not very many because the process of doing it, I won't yeah. lie. It's uncomfortable. There is not a quick fix to everything. There is not a solution uphill. I, you can't skip the discomfort. You can't skip the work and reap the results. So you That's have exactly to go and right. be uncomfortable. Right. And sometimes people can't, do a lot of it at once. They have to build the tolerance to it. And other people can jump right in and start working their own healing without me. Some people that have one session with me and they're doing it in between sessions. Wow. Cool. So it, it varies a lot based on the level of fear about feeling for the individual. Mm -hmm. And so, not, not just, not just like abandonment and uh, not being worthy or something like that, but fear about what feeling. Just feeling, there, period. I have heard people, and, and I know, like, you're a grower. You've gone through, like, deep transformation. You shared emotional moment with your voice, you know, clearly affected here on air. You're a grower. But mm -hmm. um, the masses of people have some level of avoidance, whether it's a little bit or a crippling level and everything yeah. in between. So wow. I have heard people say, if I start crying, I'll never stop. And they believe it. They say, wow. if I let it out, they will have to commit me. And they believe it. Mm -hmm. If I show what's inside, people will think I'm crazy and they'll lock me up. But people so much. Are, they, are terror, terrorized. They, but do they follow through with that based on their own compulsions? Follow through with? Like whatever the weird behavior is. Like if they. Uh, oh, no, they're like, if I start crying. I'll right. never stop and they'll have to lock me up because I'll be crazy. Or if I show these different parts of myself, then clearly I'm not normal. There's a lot of people that have a fear of that. But there's but people that have they, a fear. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking when the, but then when they start crying, they stop and then they realize they were wrong, right? I've spent the last six years trying to help one of my clients cry and she's not there yet. 
She can't cry, huh? She now will show me true affect as opposed to completely none at all. And actually just this past week, we were starting to dig into the origin about she's got this huge grief that she, we've been trying to deal with for about two months now. And she started sharing the origin of why, why the thought of sharing the grief brings absolute terror to her and where it's connecting to in her childhood. Some, I mean, some people have ritualistic torture histories. Some, you know, there's some things that feel literally like life and death. And when that's tied to having emotions, then it does feel like survival, not expressing. And so that's somebody that's, it's going to be a slow, you know, it's a slow climb out. And she's had wonderful successes on her anxiety, but to get into raw vulnerability, um, she's not there yet. And I've had other people that are only with me for six weeks. So that's, I mean, the range is huge, is vast. I I know this is going to be a tough one, um, but I, I just am curious so like a sociopath, a narcissist, or um, a psychopath, you know, uh, those people don't feel emotion. And uh, right. And like the idea is that they're cut off because of some other, uh, I'm guessing the ego, you know, overriding any sense of emotion or compassion. There's no remorse, none of that stuff. That's different than what you're talking about, right? There's a really interesting um interesting fellow you might like the you might like um his no parts okay his name is i think it's richard schwartz it's definitely schwartz you can look up no bad parts on youtube and he'll describe this phenomenon but um for people people who do a lot of sociopathic behavior um there is an intense avoidance of vulnerability now we all have you might have a little bit of that or an extreme version of that But people that have a super high trauma load, and I could go on, I don't want to take up a million minutes, but there's some studies about this. I could, you know, relate a few of those, but just intense, you know, war trauma, seeing, seeing murder, suicide, seeing violence, you know, rape, like all the torture, all the horrible things. And some people, when they experience all of that and the people around them are experiencing that trauma, um, they have to decide something subconsciously. And one choice that is made is to absolutely never feel vulnerable again, because that is the most terrifying, horrible feeling that exists in the world. And the way to do that is to be the meanest, nastiest, unfeeling mm-hmm. person possible. And this is not a conscious decision, but it's very deeply ingrained. Mm-hmm. So um, the the no bad parts work by Richard Schwartz, you know, he talks about getting into some of the people that have killed people and working with their parts and getting underneath that. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's really impressive or working with people that have um, molestation. And I know these are super hot buttons for people. And I'm not saying you have to feel sorry for them Mm -hmm. because then they go on to do it to other people, but there is a psychology behind it. And in this lifetime, you know, they may never get beneath that and it, they may experience only rage or or pleasure and, you know, only shallow emotions, only chaotic emotions and live their entire life like that. And there are mm-hmm. stories like that. And then there are lesser sociopaths who who I've been able to get to access some feelings, but they still 
struggle with empathy at others. I've had some of those clients. So it's a whole range. It's, um, I think we have a lot of universalities, but when you get into the details of the ego mind, it can be very complex. Mm-hmm. And, and just before we wrap up, and I'm going to ask you um, uh, just to share and make sure that we know a couple of things, but do you like the show Dexter? <laughs> I, I've, I've never seen it. I hate to You've tell you. You've got to be kidding. Interesting. But, you, but you have to understand ever since um, learning, like watching real life trauma, yeah. Some of that stuff is fascinating, but um, it can be kind of like work for I a see. therapist. Interesting. It puts me in therapy mind. It puts me in mind of real life people I know who have gone through similar things to the psychology wow. behind it. And then I, then my work mind gets activated. And so it is uh, fascination as much as a case study. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, ever since starting this career, I've been less likely to look at some of that stuff. That's cool. It's, you're probably better off without it. Great show, wonderful character, amazing story. It really is. But um, I feel you. That makes perfect sense, actually. <laughs> and just to wrap up here, I wanted to make sure that we didn't miss anything that we might want to mention. Is there anything on your mind or your heart or something that you wanted to share that we didn't get to today? Well, I did touch on it. But the main reason why I'm out doing a tour, I, I, I love talking to people like you. I enjoy humans i enjoy interaction but the reason why i'm doing the tour in the first place is because i want to build awareness of my book my book in my opinion is is doing something a bit different and it is addressing a gaping hole in our self-help literature our psychology literature um, a lot of people teach the mindfulness a lot of people teach coping a lot of people teach theory i teach healing and practical application. And I'm not the only one that has some healing, but it seems to me in my history of reading the books that there is um, an idea from this book or a tidbit from that book. And there's only a few that kind of blow, you know, blow the thought system apart. But this book, if you, if people say, for example, you need to be kind to yourself, be self-compassionate. The answer is, okay, but how? I try and when I do something bad, I tear myself apart. How? Yeah. Or let it go. Yeah, that sounds nice, but how? Um, yeah. And I'm all about the how. That's my jam, dude. That's totally. Yeah, yeah. So I would love for, and the most exciting thing about it is that since I've started teaching this, I've noticed that a greater number of my clients don't need me anymore. Good. That, that means you're doing something good, actually. Good therapist puts yourself out of work. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, right. And I have people that's like that, you know, traumatized client. I do have people that are years long client, but there are more people. If you're higher functioning, then a lot of those people can learn this. And then they start doing a lot of this stuff on their own. Yeah. So it's called therapeutic mindfulness, a healing skill, not a coping skill. It's on Amazon. I do workshops. I do speaking and right now, my current mission is to get the word out there and help therapists, help healers, self-healers, growth-minded people. I, I want people to know what they can do and to have a powerful tool for their own healing. Because there's so much that you can do on your own as long as you can tolerate some emotion. Um, you know, So there is that base point. Some people do need help to get to that point. But everyone that's already trying to do the work and can do that, 
they, they should hop on that book and see what I've got because I've, I think there's some really good practical tools and then a basic thesis on what heals mm-hmm. and I'll, and I can sum it up in two sentences. A, a really good understanding of a subject can be summed up easily. And it is this mm-hmm. judgment blocks, healing, judgment, guilt, shame, all that judgment blocks, healing and self-compassion nurtures healing. Mm-hmm. But it has to happen internally. You can't mm-hmm. force it. You can't tell yourself with thoughts. You have to feel it. Mm-hmm. And my book teaches how to make that happen. So totally. that's what I really want people to know. That's beautiful. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of manifestation. You've got to see it as though it already happened, right? Like it's something like that. Um, my process looks quite a bit different, but um, but there's a lot of tools out there. Yeah, and I just reminded me of that whole idea. Mm-hmm. And it's so strange for the logic to try to imagine something as though it's already occurred when it hasn't happened yet. And to me, that's always been a fascinating aspect of self-realization slash, you know, what they call manifestation. Well, it's um, interesting because my process does a lot of taking you out of this story because there's when you're in story, in philosophy, there's a, there's so many different ways to to work with that, and that's what these spiritual paths are for. And I'm very pro spiritual work. Um, that's what therapy can be for, and I'm very pro therapy. But when you go out of your story and you're just doing it on a subconscious level with your feelings showing up in your own body, it's something different that happens, and the healing's mm-hmm. going to happen. Now there are times when doing healing work just on you know a subconscious level of emotions where insights can pop up that are for you um that can happen spontaneously and you should know from doing any you know meditation any deep internal work mm-hmm. insights can spontaneously happen mm-hmm. but the core of the process is not a logical process it's definitely connecting to the subconscious and allowing it to heal your hurts absolutely to get out of the mind emotion roller coaster yeah. slash pretzel yes, logic yes. Yeah, I call it pretzel logic. I call love it, it. like the song, <laughs> <laughs> or I think it's an album actually. Steely Dan, right? Pretzel logic. I don't know. I don't know. My my husband's the musician. He, you got to ask him. Right on, right on. That's very cool, very cool, awesome. Ruth Fear now. What a weird name to have for yeah. such a beautiful process. Like there's, there's nothing. You should be Ruth. There's nothing to fear now. And uh, that would make more sense, actually. But people people are locked up in fear at all. It's just so ironic that your name should have that word in it. And Well, you know, word... good therapists can reframe anything. So I say, Ruth, feel the fear now so you can feel better later. How about that? Absolutely. That's beautiful. Yeah, to me, when I look at it, I think like, you know, taking action now and escaping the fear. And, you know, it's just what a cool name. Like, how weird, <laughs> you know. How weird. How weird. <laughs> in, all, in all the very best ways. I love it. And quite honestly, like if I had a therapist like you and I was younger, it would have made things a lot better. I've been in therapy in and out um, throughout my life in different ways and all. And uh, it really means a lot to have someone that's so down to earth and you're really um, uh, just totally authentic and a straight shooter. And it really feels positive, you know, to speak with you. I have to compliment mm-hmm. you and share that, you know, I really enjoyed this conversation. I definitely want to do it again. And um, I think you're welcome. And anybody that's interested in possibly talking with Ruth, they can reach out to you, right? Do you have a website? Yes, um, ruthfearnow.com. And 
I, I've had some people reach out since I've published the book um, asking mm-hmm. about, oh, can I refer someone to you? I'm like, well, I, I've, Got a I, I've been full for years, but <laughs> I do want to teach this. So that's what I'm looking for is where can I teach, do workshops? I want to, I'm going to start doing more of that now that it's published, because if I can get other people doing it and maybe even other therapists um, doing it in therapy, then I can reach a much wider range than I can ever do on my own. So that would be RuthFearNow.com. Very cool. Very cool. And just a side note, um, since I think you're so neat and all, I want to say this, but um, I'm a web developer by trade. Like I've done that for 25 years and I'm building a system right now for that uh, second podcast I'm getting ready to start. It's going to be a learning management system. And so I've been coming uh, been becoming familiar with those, and I would invite you to consider the possibility of uh, implementing your your lessons and all in an online learning management strategy or a learning management system, and that would enable people to take your courses over and over around the world and uh, learn, and you can uh, solidify your legacy in uh, sort of a scholastic way and mm-hmm. have a permanent record of your your teaching and your wisdom and your knowledge and sharing and all the people that go through the courses and then you make new courses and you can build your own little university based on exactly what you do. And uh, Sounds like so, we have a lot of reasons to be back in touch. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And back in touch from a previous life, perhaps. But <laughs> yeah. you, you are strangely familiar. Um, I, I almost want to... like Emphasis on about, the strange. No, go yeah. ahead. No, I love the strange part, but I, I would be fascinated maybe when we do another podcast to have your husband come on and uh, talk mm-hmm. and share. I've always wanted to do something with a couple like that. And your story especially is interesting. And I can't imagine how cool that guy's got to be. You know, it's like, so I'm kind of curious. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's it's interesting when you're deeply spiritual and you have a a partner who is that way, because when we're in public, it's humorous to me that people that know me and don't really know him think that, you know, in a way I'm the prize and they seem to try to, you know, suck wisdom from me and, and like, <laughs> you know, like it's like plants reaching for the sun, you know, cause they, they mm-hmm. censor something there and they prize me and they don't notice him as much. And then people that know him, I'm kind of, I'm just hanging out and I'm in the background and they have no clue what's going on mm-hmm. with me because they're busy trying to, you know, take the light from him and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and glean some of that. Um, but he's an amazing person and, um, yeah, th- that would be an interesting one too. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It'd be fun. And, uh, also of course to hear the story between you of how you met and all that stuff and those kind of things are fun to explore, but we'll do that. that. We'll definitely do that on another episode. And I want to explore some more of these topics and, find out how your book's doing. We should definitely check back in in a month or two and um, let's, let's connect again, Ruth. I'd really enjoy it. I agree. Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so much. And everyone it's Ruth fear now, just like it sounds. You can find her at ruthfearnow.com or on Amazon. Look for her name and the book's title once more. Therapeutic mindfulness, a healing skill, not a coping skill. Mm-hmm. So it's all about eliminating and not just pushing the rock a little further up the hill so it can fall back down on top of you, right? Right, right. <laughs> yes. right on. And thank you so much again, Ruth. Really, you were so much fun. I'm so thrilled like that this was really positive for me. Thank you.
You are welcome. And thank you. I had a great time and I look forward to doing another one. Most definitely. And we will. Hope you have a great rest of the night. And thanks for being on the show again. You're welcome. Thank you. Enjoy your evening. I will. You too. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast Show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast Show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.